Welcome to today's Grabs podcast. I'm your host, Grant Schwalbe. The point of our Grabs podcast is to bring the story of firefighters making rescues to life. That way you can hear it first person from somebody that was involved rather than just on the news story. Today I've got with me Andrew Sauer. He's going to be talking about a grab he made on September 5th, 2018. Uh, welcome, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Grant. Appreciate it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself and which, what department you're on. Uh, my department is located up in Northwest Ohio. It's uh, called Springfield Township Fire Department. We have four stations run approximately 4,000 runs. Uh, we cross staff our stations. So if it's a medical call, we'll take the ambulance. And then if it's a fire or accident, uh, we will uh, jump over to the fire engine. We have approximately uh, 15 guys on duty per day. So that was where I got my first uh, part-time gig in that in your department, Springfield Township, when I was up there. And uh, I'm sure it's changed quite a bit. Tell us a little bit about the search culture up there. Um, up here, we uh, it's it's not as pronounced as it should be. I guess um, it's probably in our assignment. It would be the third do. Uh, first is obviously going to be a fire attack. Um, they would search off of the hose line um, if possible, but with only three guys, uh, that leaves one guy searching. A second do will grab a water supply, and then usually your third do uh, that's showing up is going to get assigned uh, primary search uh, to join up with attack. Cool. So what do, you, what do you guys normally get on a box alarm, residential structure fire? What, what are you getting coming? So I'm going to get – I'm going to get five engines uh, with me. I'm going to get two mutual aid uh, plus three of my own. So that uh, with adding those additional um, guys to the alarm, uh, it will be approximately 21 guys plus we'll get a, a county license squad. So approximately 23 people. Um, and then it just depends on whether a, a chief is available to, to come or not, depending on the hours, depending on what's going on. Got it. All right. So take us back September 5th, 2018 and tell us about this run. Uh, so this is not your uh, typical fire run, I guess, if you will. Um, my station is uh, station 53. We actually got dispatched uh, for an old person. That's kind of why I told you what I told you um, as far as how we respond. If it's an old person or a medical call, we'll take a uh, ambulance. And if it's a fire run, obviously we take an, an ambulance or I'm sorry, we take a, uh, engine to a accident or fire so uh with this being called out for an old person uh we hopped in medic 53 and we uh proceeded to the call um it wasn't until we arrived on scene um something just didn't feel right pulling up uh just the way the scene was very very chaotic um lots of screaming and that guy that sits on my right shoulder that i've learned to listen to over the course of my career he was he was telling me to pay attention to something so uh, as I was walking up to the house, there was a gentleman in the front yard and I just looked at him and he, he didn't look as your typical EMS patient. Immediately I looked at his hands and his arms and I'm like, he's burned. And I'm looking back at the house, remembering the call, this was fair no person. And I'm thinking something's not adding up. And uh, this is all taking place. And if you can think about like milliseconds in your head as you're doing that initial scene size up. And as I'm looking down at the ground where he is in his front yard, I look up at what would be the Delta side, Delta Gable end of Division Two, and there's just smoke, horizontal smoke, blowing uh, across uh, from the Delta side. And I'm like, "Sir, your house is on fire." 
And he said, yeah, I know. And my uh, 17-year-old daughter's trapped upstairs. So I repeated that back, you know, getting getting shocked with that, I guess, if you will. You know, we expect the unexpected on calls, but in a, in a department my size, I could say that, you know, this is definitely not a typical run. Um, so I repeated back to him. I said, your, your daughter's inside. And he said, yeah, upstairs and to the left. And I looked at the house, and by now the smoke that was horizontal is now starting to go vertical, and it turned turned from uh, that brown to a, a real black. And I'm like, whew, you know, took a deep breath and thought, oh, boy. So factors that are against me, there's three of us. I'm in a medic unit, and we were the only ones dispatched. So I quickly told dispatch, I said, uh, this is not a no person. This is a uh, house fire, and I uh, have a victim trapped upstairs um this is right about noon so the chiefs were uh they live in the township they were at home and uh they immediately began responding uh the tones dropped for the rest of the help to begin uh heading our way um but it was now time to do something we do we are a full service department uh and we carry both um turnout gear and scba on our medic units so we quickly donned our uh, turnout gear, put on our SCBAs. However, there are three of us and we only carried, at that time, we only carried two air packs. So I quickly donned my uh, air pack along with my partner, Chris, and um, we decided that we've got to do something. Um, he's pleading to us. You know, uh, still, as we're walking up to the house, that the smoke column is now uh, vertical as the back uh, upstairs window had failed. And uh, we carried, at that time, we carried an ABC extinguisher and a CO2 extinguisher. Those were the only means of uh, any kind of fire suppression that we had. So we took those upstairs. Um, he told us where she was. He said upstairs to the left. But he didn't say which room because I don't believe he knew. So um, that at least cut down the searching of Division One, the basement. Um, so this is your typical two-story house. Oh, probably 22, 2300 square feet. Um, the stairs were just inside the uh, front steps or the front main entryway were the steps. Uh, and I told Chris, I said, it's, it's time to go up and uh, try and find her. Um, so we got up to about the eighth step as we're dispelling the uh, CO2 extinguisher, which ran out pretty quickly, which does absolutely nothing in a residential structure fire. He quickly ran down, grabbed the ABC, and I, the internal clock inside my head said, man, it is time to go. What felt like we were on the stairs for eternity, probably in real life, was, I'm going to say 45 seconds if I'm trying to really think about it. And I said, man, it's time to go. I said, we don't have any more time. So uh, I shot upstairs, shot up the stairs, went to the left. Directly at the top of the stairs is the room that was on fire. I got past that. And I distinctly remember once I got to that hallway, um, just past that room, it felt like that hallway was forever long, miles, if you will. And really, it was probably no more than six, eight feet. But the temporal distortion that I had of the whole scene of everything going on just made it feel like I was crawling to something that I was never going to find the end to. Um, I quickly found the end to it because I ran smack dab into her bed which uh, it slightly disoriented me. Uh, conditions inside, uh, heavy fire in the fire room with a zero uh, visibility. 
Uh, the pictures afterwards show the line of demarcation uh, probably two or three inches off the floor. Uh, so you can't see anything. I'll be flat out honest, this is the first time I'm ever searching for a victim in zero visibility. So I am pulling out every single fire index card that I have of any kind of class uh, where search uh, has been uh, a priority to try and use those skills to uh, move quickly. Chris is at the top of the stairs. He's doing what he can with the fire extinguisher, trying to hold back the flames. Uh, my third that was on the medic unit, he's waiting for help to show up. Remember, I told you we were the only ones that dispatched. So we are still waiting for help. I get into her room, search her room. I don't find her. Come back to the doorway, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have to yell for Chris uh, to hear me. And so I, I yell his name, and he answers me very quickly, and it's real close. And I'm like, Again, it just, it, I would, my sense of where I was was distorted because I couldn't see anything. Once I heard his voice, I said, okay. I said, she wasn't in here. I went into the room off to my right. Again, I'm talking to him. He is my oriented man, if, I, if you will. I'm not on the wall. I'm in the middle of the rooms. Uh, I come across their bedroom, uh, search that. There's no room. Uh, and by now, he tells me, hey, the fire, the fire extinguisher's out. And now we don't have anything. Uh, conditions inside are, are rapidly deteriorating. Um, a, a conveniently, another medic unit shows up, uh, the medic unit that was already out on the road. So they were the next due. They tended to the, uh, the father. And uh, Sean, my third, grabbed their air pack and another couple of extinguishers brought them up to Chris. Uh, off, their, off their bedroom was the master bathroom. Uh, once I went in there, uh, I was a very small bathroom, went in there and uh, quickly located her. Um, and I yelled at Chris and told him I had found her and he made his way in. And uh, we basically locked ourselves in an upstairs bathroom uh, with no means of escape, really. Um, so we, there was a window in, that ba in the bathroom and we were deciding what was, how are we going to get her out? Yeah, I'm thinking webbing, I'm looking down, you know, it's approximately probably 14, 16 feet down. You know, my webbing's five, six feet long. All these things are going through my mind and think, and uh, trying to figure out what are we going to do. And it was, uh, it was a slow motion moment in my mind. I'll never forget seeing the first engine arrive on scene. And then I finally said to myself, okay, I know how she's getting out. Um, I called for a ladder uh, immediately to side alpha. And uh, the engineer, uh, he had he had two um, commands he had to execute like simultaneously. No more did he have the ladder on his shoulder than the, his attack crew was calling for water because they were making their way up to to protect us. So it was one of those: do I throw the ladder to the to the guys with her, or do I go back and charge the line? Uh, thankfully, Ben threw the ladder to us, ran back, charged the line. I mean, simultaneously, you got to think about that. If you're the operator, which task are you going to do? Which one is of more importance? I've asked a lot of people that, and I, I don't know that I still know the answer to that one. Um, but the, the fact is that he did something. He didn't freeze. He, he did what he thought he uh, should do at the time. He, he deployed that ladder. Um, my captain came up, handed her out uh, through the bathroom window, and a uh, fire attack took care of um, the fire, really. Um, made our way down. And uh, at that time, uh, the rest of the crews um, finished up with uh, salvage overhaul and, and that kind of thing. And 
that's kind of the way that fire went. Um, it was nine minutes uh, from the time that I made it a working fire until we had uh, a piece of apparatus on location that had any water on it. That's crazy. Uh, talk to the very atypical call, <laughs> how this rolls out. Like yeah, oh, tr trust me. Uh, yeah. Um, so if time, what was the question? time from, so time from arrival, do you guys decide you're going yep. in until time to you found her? Do you, do you got some kind of estimate of what you were dealing with there? Uh, we, I marked it a working fire at 1208 or 1209. Uh, she was extricated from the house at, uh, 1218. That's how I know that it was, uh, nine minutes. I would say it would probably be in the neighborhoods of six to seven. Uh, from the time that I made it a working fire until the time that I found her. Um, and uh, then we isolated ourselves in that bathroom. What was her condition when you found her? Uh, she was unconscious. Um, the pulse was apneic. What, um, now you said, the funny thing, we talk about this a lot, that uh, bathrooms aren't a high area where people are found. Um, Percentage-wise, I think it's roughly in the neighborhood of eight percent of the time. But if you think about eight percent of, or, or the percentage of the house that's a bathroom, is very small. So proportionally, that's pretty pretty significant. And it seems like human nature: fire's hot. <laughs> where do I go if I can't get out? I go to where there's water because water's cold, and it's the, the opposite. But what exactly what runs us into some problems? I think is the the size of the bathroom, uh, plumbing. Uh, for if we're going to consider wall breach or tile that we're dealing with in small windows, what was the window? What was the window like in that bathroom? It actually was almost a full uh, residential uh, width window uh, that you would find in a bathroom it, or in a uh, bedroom. Um, I had I had no problem uh, getting her out. Actually, we took care of the the window, the sash, and there was no problem uh, extricating her out that way at all. Nice. And then once you got, what was the method you guys got her down the ladder? Or can you can describe what that ladder rescue was? What like? was <laughs> it was, it was like slow motion. I'm standing at the windowsill waiting uh, for my cap to come up the, the ladder. And like everything was just super slow motion. Like, you know, my, my internal clock is just moving so fast and to watch to watch him come out or come up and then uh just hand her off um it was just like you practiced you know and it was it was such a surreal moment um number one i was i was so glad that we were going down by the ladder because you know the other ways i'm thinking you know are we going to hurt her other hurt her further by you know lowering her down with webbing something like that but again this is not something that <laughs> we were i mean we were prepared for it but i mean my goodness we were going to have to do what we what we could with what we had um so you know we just we took her out um she was carried down sideways you know down the ladder uh with with really no problem um your adrenaline is is um pumping so much that weight wise size wise none of that mattered i mean it was it was just like a feather at that point in time because you're just, you're just so in that moment that none of that stuff matters. And that stuff is hard to simulate in, in training, you know, you, to get, 
to get amped up to get that just push where you're going to do something and you may never do it again or you may never have that that drive in you again um that's really hard to simulate yeah exactly what what about um so coming away from that call did that change anything within your organization or how you think of uh you know any nuggets that you have coming away from that <laughs> um yeah we i mean we are not uh responding to um all incidents in fire engines yet um that's just not in the deck of cards for our department uh just demographic wise and the way we run um that would be a, an absolute dream of mine but it's just not realistic um we run msa g1 packs uh the chief immediately uh purchased additional um ticks that go on uh go on the packs because on our medic we didn't have any tools whatsoever i didn't have a tick i didn't have a single tool to search with except the two hands that i you know that i brought with me to the scene that was that was really it uh we have a set of halogen or a set of um irons on the um medic units now uh we do carry a water can uh that has uh f500 in it so those are two um two or three monumental changes i guess if you will for um for a department our size you know that we still have to we still have to respond to the the calls that we are sent to most of the time which are ems so uh medic units are are they're our bread and butter so um that's what we do as far as thinking about this call i mean this was you know i've i've put together a presentation for this call and at the beginning it talks about not only being life-changing career-changing but department changing, you know, for somebody like myself, that is a fire history boss, if you will, you know, I care about those that have come before me, you know, I want to learn from those veterans before they, they leave. And this had never happened before, you know, in the almost 70 year history of, of the department, it's, it's never happened. And that's, that's huge. When you think about all the, you know, all the fires back in the day that they used to go to and this and that, so to to have that happen and to be you know the one now that's going to carry this torch um it's it's not something that i take lightly at all well i appreciate you sharing the story reaching out to me uh, a while back when we when we initially did this and then uh, the the podcast seems like the perfect uh platform to to share that story so i thank you for coming on if you have a uh a rescue uh alive or dead or it was just an assist, please go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com, uh, fill out the information there. That way we have the best information to share with other firefighters. Uh, likewise, go to that website and, and take a look and, and that information is just invaluable uh, compared to what we're getting out of our NIFRS reports. If you want to record uh, your story with either me, you can find me on uh, Facebook, Grant Schwalbe or Residential Primary Search Making the Grab Facebook page, or get a hold of Justin McWilliams. He runs the Search Culture Facebook page, and he's with Brothers in Battle. Get a hold of one of us. We'd love to hear the story and share it. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic, but there's something always we can take away from this. So that being said, uh, we look forward to catching you next time on the Grabs podcast.